Okay, so let's, let's jump into the, the teaching for today. So, so if you're new to Flatirons, here's usually what we do around here, is that we kind of go back and we review some stuff, in case you weren't here last week. Then we, get, then we look at what God wants to teach us today, and then we, we get right into application. And let me just tell you, application today is rough. So leave now or buckle up, okay? So, because uh, we're, we're really going to dig into to God's word. So let me pick up exactly where we left off last week, all right? So Jesus has been baptized. He's 30 years old. He's been baptized in, in the Jordan River by his cousin John. And then he comes up out of the river. And from this point on, for the next three years, it is, it is a straight path to a cross in Jerusalem, three years from now, where he's nailed to a cross as payment for our sins. They bury him in a tomb. Some people think they got rid of him. And then three days later, he rises from the dead as proof that he is who he says he is, all right? But from that river, until then, it's going to get rough. It's going to be really, really hard. He's going to face things. It's going to get really, really, really dark. People are going to come against him. And his father, God, knows that, that Jesus, because Jesus is a man just like us, he's going to need something to, to hang on to. He's going to need to go back to his page on those dark days and go, now what's true? What's, what did my father say is true about me? And so just as Jesus comes up out of that river, and this is what we looked at two weeks ago, his father like calls a timeout and goes, I'm gonna answer all the most important questions that anybody has. I'm gonna answer them for my son. He started with this question. Who am I? We all wanna know. Like, who, who am I? I'm trying to figure out who I am. Here, I'll tell you who you are, Jesus. You're my son. You're my son. No matter what, Jesus, you will always be my son. And that will not change no matter what, what happens you will always be my son. And then, and then and what am I good for? Like, what's my value? What's my worth? Well, I love you. Okay, so just file that away and hang on to it, all right? You're my son and I love you. And that's not gonna change. When your circumstances get hard, when it gets really, really, really dark, when everybody else turns on you and you feel like everybody's forsaking you, this will not change. I'm your father, you're my son, and I, and I love you, even when it doesn't feel loving. You gotta hang on to that, okay? And then uh, the, the next thing is, and, and why am I here? Like, what's the point of my life? Well, I'm very well pleased with you. God is pleased with me, and he has a unique purpose for my life. He looks at me and goes, I see something in you, and I sent you here for a very specific purpose, and I will see you through it. So no matter how hard it gets, just remember, I love you, you're my, you're my, you're my child, and, I, and, I, and I'm with you in this. Now, because Jesus is a man, all right, immediately he has to feel very similar to what we would feel in the same circumstance. And here's what I mean by that. Anytime that you face something hard in your life, all right, even if it's a good thing, it's just new and challenging, you know, uh, it, it, your, your, first, your first question is, can I do that? Can I do that, right? Can I be a parent? Can I do marriage? Can I do college? Can I do divorce? I don't know what you're facing in your life, but our first response is, am I enough? Can I do this or am I gonna fall apart? And so, so Jesus, because he's, he's faced everything you and I have faced, standing there on that river as all this is coming, this is heavy, heavy information, he's gotta be thinking, am I enough? And here's the answer, no, on your own. No, are you enough to do this on your own? No, no, are you enough to fix your marriage? Good luck. Are you enough to reconcile back with your kids or back with your parents? Are you enough to face cancer? Are, are, are you enough to do that? Are you enough to go through another funeral? Are, can you do that on your own? No, there's just some stuff in life that is so hard and so heavy, you try to do it on your own, it will crush you, which explains a lot of our lives, why we keep getting crushed. We keep trying to, you know, like, I'm gonna gut it out and it doesn't work. But God never sends us out there on our own. God never says, hey, I have a unique purpose for you. Good luck. See you in heaven, I hope. Right, right? He doesn't do that. No. Am I enough? No. On my own, I'm not. But with God, yeah, I'm enough. And here it is. Because with God, let's just say it together, one, two, three, all things are possible. Follow-up question. Are all things possible on your own? No. But we keep trying it. 
We keep saying, no, I got this one. I don't need God to help me with this. I don't need anybody to help me with this. I have, have, I have got this. And, and Jesus knows, okay, I, my life is going to be hard. And all along there, for the next three years, leading up to them, nailing him on a cross, there are moments in his life where the only thing that keeps him going, the only thing that says, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to tap out. I'm not going to give in to that temptation. The only thing that keeps him going is he goes back to not his friends. Hey, buddies, what do you, what do you think I ought to do? He didn't go back to his emotions. He doesn't go back to my circumstances feel good. No, he goes back to his page. What did my father say was true about me, even though my life is really hard right now? He says he loves me. He says I'm his son. He says he's with me in this. And he says that with him in my life, that I'm enough. And so last week when Satan goes, hey, just trade it all in and just eat. Feed yourself. He goes, no, no, no. I, I, I don't, don't feed myself. I'm dependent upon God. And so he wins that first round. All right? Now, so here's the thing about Satan. I'm going to teach you several things about Satan. If you wanted to learn about Satan, today's your day. All right? So, and here's what I mean. Uh, Satan, just because Jesus beat Satan on round one, Satan's not done. All right? And that's true in our lives. Have you ever felt like Satan just came after you? But you, you did it. You, you did it. And you said, nope, I'm not going to do it this time. And then from that point on, anybody, did he leave you alone from then on? No, he just kept coming back. Well, we'll see, see you tomorrow, right? right? So we're going to pick up right after the whole stones into bread thing. Next, next verse, right? same chapter. It goes like this. Then the devil took, took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And I'll explain all that in a second, all right? Devil takes him to the holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And so then the devil's going to quote the Bible to Jesus. That never works well because he's Jesus, all right? So here's what he quotes. He, God, will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Okay, so let me, let me kind of set, set the stage here, okay? So they were in the desert. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days, turned stones into bread. I'm not going to do that. I don't live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Okay, somehow they, they go to Jerusalem. All right, they're in Jerusalem now, and that's like the holy city. That's like, that's like the epicenter of the whole Jewish faith system, all right? And, and here's why, because in the, in the middle of the city is a hill, still there today, the name of that hill is called Mount Zion. On top of Mount Zion is a temple, and on top of the temple is a pinnacle. And they, so they don't just go to the city, they don't just go to the temple, they go up on the roof of the temple, and then they find the highest point on the roof, like a steeple or a tower, and they go up there. All right, they, they go all the way to the top. So here's the other thing about this temple. The Jewish people actually believed that there was a special room in the temple called the Holy of Holies and, and God lived there. Like his presence was always there. So Jesus is standing on the roof of a building where God lived. And he's, up, he's way up here. So he's in the highest point of the tallest building on a hill in the middle of the city. It's the most public place you can be. If you wanna make a big statement, go to the pinnacle of the temple because people are gonna be walking around going, Hey, there's someone on the pinnacle of the temple. And the whole city stops and goes, Let, let's, let's pay attention to that. And so Satan has Jesus up there in the most public, watch this place that you can imagine, right? And he turns to Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, if you are the son of God, and let's just stop right there, because that's where he hits us every time, right? I, I, the first point of attack is always the same. I know, I know what you think you heard God say. And this is the same way with us. I know you read that in the Bible. Or I know you heard, you know, that at your church or something like that. So yeah, Jesus, I know, you know, you say you're God's son, jury's still out on that because I was there and I saw what happened in the desert. And if he's your father and he loves you, he's not a very good one because you almost starved to death, right? So you're God's son and he loves you and blah, 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 blah. How about this, Jesus? Prove it. He puts his finger in Jesus' chest and goes, you're the son of God? Prove it. So here, I'm gonna tell you, do something and let's see if loving father God shows up for you when you really need him. So you're son of God, prove it. And here's how I'm telling you to prove it. Throw yourself down. 
And I, so throw yourself down. So if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Now, I, I wanted to make sure I taught this well. So this past week, I went back and I studied this phrase in the, in the Greek. You're welcome, all right? And so you're so impressed. So, so uh, I, I studied in the Greek, and literally in the Greek, it translates throw yourself down. It's nailed it right there, okay? So th that's exactly what it means. It means throw yourself, cast yourself down. And it means this. It's not an accident. Like he was trying to jump from here to here and he missed and oops, he threw himself down. No, no, no. No, it was very intentional. I, I know what I want to do. Uh, I, 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 the target is the pavement. I'm going to take a header for the pavement. That's what, I, I'm, I'm doing this very, very, very on purpose. Hey, Jesus, if, you're the, if you are the son of God, jump off the roof See if God catches you. Now, here's the other thing about throw yourself down, right? So I kept on studying it because I got such, so much out of that first part, right? But I kept on studying. In the Greek, this also can be translated a different way. It can be the same as roll the dice. It's the same phrase. You know, like throw the dice. You know, like, you know, you're shooting craps or something like that. It would be the same thing. Of like, all right, hey, Jesus, if you're son of God, put your money on the table. Let's roll the dice and let's see who wins. Winner keeps all, right, right? Satan is challenging Jesus to a game of high stakes, poker, high stakes poker. Oh yeah, you say the son of God? All right, I'll play that game. Winner takes all. If you win, you're in the most public place ever. Everybody around here will go, Jesus did it. He's amazing. Let's all follow Jesus. But if you go splat on the sidewalk, then we'll know. We'll know that you shouldn't have trusted your father. If he is your father, he certainly doesn't love you. And then none of us, no, no, nobody else will follow him either. I mean, you're not afraid, are you, Jesus? I mean, this is the same way he comes at us. Oh, you're son of God? Then do something stupid. Oh, you chicken? Right? I mean, and then I'll be like, no, I'm not afraid, right? right? So, so, I mean, it says right there in the Bible, Jesus, that, that if, you, you know, if you were to do this, that the angels would swoop in and they would catch you and you know, he wouldn't even let you stub your toe. So jump. Throw yourself down. Roll, roll, roll the dice. Now, here's a second thing I want to teach about Satan. I learned so much about Satan in church today. Awesome. Okay, so... Satan is very good at quoting the Bible. Correction. Satan is really good at partially quoting parts of Bible verses out of context and then applying them to situations that God had nothing to do with. He's really good at that. And we've all been attacked with the same thing. You know, the Bible says we ought to do this. I'm not even talking about that, right? Satan is using the Bible to argue with Jesus. Again, don't do that. He's Jesus, all right? So he actually quotes the Bible. He quotes uh, a verse out of Psalm 90, 91. This is what he quotes to, to Jesus, all right? So throw yourself down. Here's, here's why you, don't, you shouldn't be afraid of that, right? Because God will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a, a stone. So the devil quotes the Bible to Jesus. Here's the thing though. He skips over some parts and he leaves some parts out, especially, I mean, that's a promise right there, but he skips over who the promise is made to. So let's just back up a few verses because that promise isn't for everyone. It's, it's, it's for a, a very, very select person or, or group of people. So let's, let's go back up about 10 verses. This is who the promise is for, all right? It's made to he or she, us, right? Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, of God, so you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That person, I will say to the Lord, my, you're my refuge and you're my fortress. You're my God in whom I, I, I trust. So the promises. And there's a whole bunch more promises uh, that be, besides the one Satan mentions here. The promises are made to a very specific person. That promise is made to you if, to, to he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. So if you get really, really up close to God and, 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 and you stay with him, he's like a shelter. So stay close to him, all right? And, and if you stay close to him and he's protecting you, he who abides in the shadow of the Almighty. How close should I be? I want to be in his shadow. 
I don't want to see how far I can get away from God and hope he protects me. No, I want to be right up against him, right here in his shadow. I'm, here's God, here's me. And here's why. Because when I'm in his shelter and when I'm in his shadow, then God is my refuge and he's my fortress. And I trust him. Nobody can touch me here, just like those verses say. So he looks back at, at, at Satan and goes, all right, so I, let me see if I got you right, all right? Why would I want to do that? Why would I ever want to roll the dice with my life or the most important parts of my life? Why would I want to put to, to, put to the test what I already know and believe and trust to be true about God and what God said about me? Why would I want to do that? That's what you want me to do? Just let go of all that? So here's what Jesus says to him. He's going to quote the Bible back to him, back to Satan. Jesus is better at it since he wrote it. All right, so anyway, so, so Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so this is actually a quote from the same speech that, uh, from Moses last week when Jesus said, you shall, you shall not live by bread alone. It's the same, same speech. But when, when, when Moses said it, and that's who he's quoting here, there was one more little part on the end that Jesus leaves out. Satan knew about it. And here's, what, here's what Moses said, all right? Moses said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at, at, at Massah. And this is what we talked about last week, all right? So the, 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 the Hebrew people, and this is just, I mean, this is historical fact, all right? Whether you're a Christian or not, this is historical fact. For about 400 years, the Jewish people were slaves in Egypt, all right? It's written all over Egypt. The, the, for 400 years, the, the Hebrews were, were slaves there. You've seen the movie, Prince of Egypt. Come on, it's good. All right, so anyway, so, so then Moses, God sends Moses and says, let my people go. And then eventually he leads them out of, 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 of Egypt. The, the, the Egyptian army comes after them. They, they get mad at God. See, we should have stayed back there. And then God splits the sea and they walk right through it to, to safety. Then he drowns his enemies. Then they get to the other side to this place called Massah and they get thirsty. And when see, we shouldn't have done this. We, God has brought us out here in the desert. And we brought our kids out here in the desert. And we trusted God. And now, you know what? We're going to die of thirst out here. And they grumble against Moses. They grumble against God. We sh never should have trusted God. We should have stayed in Egypt. We were slaves, but at least we had something to drink. And God's like, Moses, just take that stick and hit that rock. And water comes out. And they're all like, yay, God. All right, for about five, five minutes. So, so what, what Jesus is saying to Satan up there on that roof is this. Um, let me get this straight. You want me to... You want me to let go. You want me to doubt and test God like, like those people did back there in the desert? You want me to be like them? Yeah, no, no. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick with my deal. I'm going to stick with, 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 with trusting what he said about me. Nice try. Nice sales pitch. I'm, I'm just not going to buy it. I have what I need. And I don't need to jump off a building to prove it. See, this is where we're going. We're going to start moving into our lives now, okay? I believe this story actually happened, but I, I also believe it has parallels and applications to our life today. So, so this is true of Jesus. It's, it's true of us, all right? What, it goes like this. Whatever it was that Jesus needed in here, you know what I'm talking about? There's, all, there's something in here that has to be filled up in our heart, in our soul, in our identity, in our purpose, in our value, in our worth. There's like this, 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 hole inside of us and, and, we, and we're going to try to fill it up. But whatever it was that Jesus needed in here had already been filled by the only one who could and was qualified to fill it. And that would be God. Who gets to write on my page? God. Who gets to fill up that spot in my heart? God. See, in here, I know who I am. How do you know that? God already told me. He told me I'm his son and that's not going to change. It's not going to change up here on, when I'm starving in the desert. It's not going to change up here on the roof today. And here I know where I stand with God. How do you know that? God already told me that I'm loved. And the conditions and the circumstances of my life, that, that, they're not necessarily connected to his amount of love for me. And here I know where I'm going. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how long it's going to take. I just know that God said he would lead me. So I'm not afraid. 
And I don't have to jump off a building to prove anything. See, in here, I know that I'm enough and I'm strong enough and I'm brave enough and I'm man enough to face anything out there because with God in here, all right, with God in here, let's just say it again, all things are possible. There's nothing out there that can fill that in. But if I have God in here, bring it on because I'm okay. Now, here's the temptation that, a modern version, okay? This is the temptation that Jesus wrestled with up there on the roof. This is the temptation that you and I spent the entire week wrestling through. And it goes like this. There's something that you can do out there. And out there means with her, if I buy that, if I get that, if I spend time with him, if I conquer that, if I get the job, if I get the raise, if I get this, if I, if I finally get, there's something out there that if somehow I can get it, that will be able to fill what's missing in here. And here's the big caveat, right? Better than what God says will fill it. There's something out there. I know what God says, that he loves me and I'm his child and he's gonna take care of me and I have a purpose and I have a mission and I'm forgiven and I have grace and he lives in his, I, I get it, right? I don't know if I believe him, right? I don't know. I mean, maybe he's right, but I actually think there might be something else that might actually be better. And that's what you and I wrestled with all, night, all, all, all week long, so application, all right? See, it's so, just like last week, it's so easy to read Bible stories and go, why didn't they just have faith? Right, I mean, yeah, we get really, really self-righteous and you go, you know what, if I was there, I would have believed. You know, I, I mean, if I, all those things he did for him and he split the sea, that was a biggie right there. Water came out of a rock and bread fell out of heaven and this and that and that. And, and I mean, the only reason they're even alive, the only reason they're even alive is because God did that. I just don't understand why they didn't see that and trust, trust God. I agree, they should have. Here's a question, why don't you, right? Why don't I? Now, let's let us off the mat a little bit. There are parts of my life I trust God with. Some parts of my life I trust like, all, like almost all of it with. There's other parts of my life I go, um, no. It's not because I don't trust him. I actually know what he wants to do with that part of my life and I don't wanna give it to him because I wanna do something different with it, right? And that's where Satan comes after us over and over and over and over with that temptation right there. Maybe you could find life, better life, without God. So see, this is, I'm not a prophet, but here's what I think is going to and not gonna happen today, all right? So I don't think when you go home today, when you pull into your house or apartment or whatever that is, I don't think Satan's gonna be there in the driveway going, it's about time. Come here, follow me. And then he climbs up on top of your roof and goes, okay, do you really love Jesus? Let's see if he loves you. Jump, right? I don't think that's gonna happen. I guess it could happen, it would be weird, okay? But I don't think that that's how, how Satan is gonna come after us, just that blatantly. So this is how I think Satan attacks us most of the time. Let me just say this. Let me, this is how Satan attacks me most of the time. I really believe that he watches us. All right, the Bible describes him. You know, he has a very specific scheme formed against us, meaning this is that he's gonna attack you in a different way than he's gonna attack him or her or whatever. The end result is the same. He wants to destroy everything, but he watches us. He has a specific scheme. Says he's like a lion trying to look around and see who he can devour. And then he, he watches us. He does recon on us. And he just says, okay, there's a pattern in Jim's life. And he keeps doing that over and over and over and over and over. That's, that's where I'm gonna hit him. And he just waits in ambush. And when I don't even see it coming, he wraps himself around me like a giant python or something like that, and he owns me. And I didn't even see it coming, but he knew what he was doing. He's smart. And here's where, here's where I find that, that Satan ambushes me the, the, most, the most frequently, okay? It's usually when I'm, I'm trying to make a choice about, am I gonna do this or this? And this and this is, am I gonna go with what God says is right and true? 
Or am I gonna do something else? And, and picture it this way. I'm on, the, I'm on the edge of a canyon. If I go left and follow what God says leads to a better life, then I'm gonna go that way. But if I say I'm gonna let go of what God says is true, I'm gonna jump. And I actually believe that there might be something good down there. I actually believe maybe I'll survive it and I can actually live my life without, without him, all right? You see, and Satan always pokes at the same place. As I'm trying to figure out, well, God said this, and, then, and he said, if I do that, I'll die. Satan always comes at the same place. He always attacks us, all right? Did God really say? If you go back to chapter two in the Bible, it's how he attacked Adam and Eve. Did God really say you'll, you'll die? And he says it to us today. Did, did God really say that if you step out of your marriage, your life will fall apart? It won't. It might get rough for a while, but, you know. Did God really say that if you have another drink, that it'll lead to another? And no, 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 you'll be fine. It's just one drink. It's just one text message. It's just one night. It's just one, you know, it's just, you're just gonna do this one time to get your business back on track. It's just one time. You'll be fine. It, it won't kill you. It, it, won't, it won't die. Go ahead and do it. God, the sales pitch from Satan is this. There are other ways to be happy apart from God. Don't trust God. God's a liar. And this is what we wrestle through all week long, Okay. I know what God says. We are very clear on what God says about the big parts of our life. Should, who should we have sex with? The person you're married to. And anything outside of that? Now we're trying to wrestle and see if there's a loophole. Right? We're trying to see if there's any other way. I mean, but, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? All right? So, so we, we, we know. And so we go, well, do, what, do, do I really trust God in that part of my life? Here's a question. Why would we choose to not trust God? Why would we choose to try to find life apart from him? Why would we intentionally, not on accident, why would we say, thank you, God, goodbye, and then jump over a cliff? Why would we do that? Not do we do that, why? So here's what I wanna do in the last part of, part of this talk, okay? I, I wanna look at the stories of three men, all right? Now let me tell you what's gonna happen. First of all, these are not imaginary men, these are men that I know, they're friends of mine. They go to this church, all right? I asked them for permission to tell their stories, two of them said yes, and so... Uh, <laughs> And the third one I couldn't get a hold of. But anyway, so, um, so, so here, here's the thing, okay? So first of all, you're going, so you have this friend. Is this really about you? Parts of it. Parts of all three stories about this. See, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna sit here and going, man or woman, young or old, single, married, whatever it is, you're gonna sit here and going, that's my story. Well, here's what a lot of us are gonna do. We're gonna go, well, that first story, that part of that, that, that happened to me. And that second story, like, yes, yeah, some of that. And that third one, oh, all me. I mean, I, I, last night here, here at Lafayette out in the, in the lobby, I had men come up to me going, that's me. And I got to go do something. All right. So I'd like to entitle this last part. All right. I came up with a really catchy title for the last part. Why and how men, humans, all right, don't trust God and jump to their deaths. Here's how we do it. And here's why. Okay. So I'm going to give you three examples of real men. All right. But again, man or woman, you're going to find something in there about, uh, about you. Imaginary names, real stories. So I'm going to call this first guy Matt. It's not his real name. You know, the names have been changed to protect the guilty. All right, so Matt. <laughs> Matt's a Christian. I've known him for about, I don't know, about 10 years. He's been a Christian for like 20 years. He's been married for like 25 years. And he, he, the marriage he has right now, it's horrible. I mean, it's bad. It's not the marriage he signed up for when he said, I do. He didn't think in a million years that his marriage would look like, like, like this. See, the marriage he had in mind has been replaced with... Um, well, uh, joy? No, there's no joy at his house. I've been at his house. We can't find joy there. Peace? Well, um, it's quieter now because they don't talk to each other, so there's no more yelling because they stay on separate floors of the house. So I guess you call that peace. Um, intimacy? Not in recent years, right? Happiness? Sometimes 
if Matt leaves and goes finds happiness someplace else. But when he's home, there's no happiness there. All that's been replaced by she's depressed all the time. She's sick all the time. She's addicted to painkillers. She lives her life in isolation. She goes in her bedroom, didn't come out of bed, watches TV for weeks at a time. And here's the thing, Matt's a Christian. So his faith doesn't allow him to divorce her. So he does this, here's a quote, I'm just doing my Christian duty. He doesn't believe she's gonna change. He doesn't believe that God's gonna change her. He actually says, I don't even think she's trying to change. I don't think she'll ever change. And here's the other thing about Matt. When he looks in the mirror, he actually thinks there's nothing in his life going on that needs to change. It's all her. He actually believes that. And so he plays that martyr card all the time, that victim card. But Christians can't do that. So we spiritualize everything going, you know, the Lord is my strength and I'm just hanging in there and one day at a time and sweet Jesus will take the wheel, whatever that is, okay? So the, the, the truth is, here's Matt's life. He knew what God wanted him to do and still wants him to do. And he let go of what God said. God said, there in the fortress, in the protection, in the shadow, he said to Matt, here's here's what I'm telling you to do. I'm telling you to love her and serve her, lay down your life for her, keep trying, regardless of her response, exhaust every lead and every tool at your disposal to love your wife. God never told Matt to fix his wife. We can't fix anybody, we can't even fix ourselves, all right? So we're not supposed to fix our, our wives, but he never was told to quit on his wife. And here's why I can say that so strongly. Okay? And this is going to be really, really hard, guys. So you got to lean into this. When, when, when you married this person, right? She said, I do. You said, I do. You made vows to each other. You know what? She didn't know. She didn't sign up for a life of addiction. She didn't know that was coming. She didn't, she didn't sign up for a life of, uh, of depression. She, she, she probably wouldn't have married you if she thought you, she was going to screw up your life this bad. She, she never thought she'd be sick for the rest of her life. She never thought she'd have trauma and things like that in her life. But she, she didn't sign up for that. But you did. What do you mean? You signed up for better or worse. You just didn't think worse was gonna look like this and so you went out, but you can't get out and so you're just gonna wait it out, right? And here's how, again, I'm not a prophet, but here's what's gonna happen at Matt's house. Eventually, his wife's gonna go, I I give up, I I quit. You'll be better off without me. And she's either gonna file papers or she's gonna do what she's threatened to do several times. She's gonna put a gun in her mouth and she's just gonna end it all. And you know what Matt's response is gonna be? Not my fault. Not my fault. Her fault. God's fault, not my fault. See, now listen, listen. she certainly carries part of the blame. There's two sides of every story. I, I get that. So, so the dysfunction of their marriage, it's not all on Matt. But when that marriage, you know, takes a header off the roof and goes splat on the sidewalk, it will not be because God wasn't available, God's power wasn't available, God's grace wasn't available, and God's presence was available. No, no, no. Part of the reason, a major reason is, is that Matt stepped out of the presence, stepped out of the shadow of God's wing. He let go of God's truth and he picked up blame and self-righteousness and passivity and he jumped off the cliff away from his wife. That's how and why we jump to our deaths. And that marriage is dead. It just hasn't been buried yet. So that's Matt. That was a happy one. How about this one, all right? I'm going to talk about John. Again, not his, right, his real name. John just hit one of those birthdays that ends with a zero, and men freak out whenever you hit a birthday that ends with zero. Oh, no, I'm 30. Oh, no, I'm 40. Oh, no, I'm 50. I made it to 60. Whatever that is, okay? So that's just here, okay? So, so the, here's what's going on in, in John's head right now. John has always been the cool guy, kind of the bad guy. In high school, he was the bad guy. He always got in trouble, got expelled, got kicked out, got arrested, all, all the way through, right? He's always that, that guy that was so dangerous, girls liked him. Yeah, she, see, you know what I'm talking about, all right? And so... You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, and if I, brought, if I brought John up here right now, you know what you'd go? I'd hang with him. 
He, if I brought him up, you would hang with him. He's a good-looking guy. He's got great clothes, got a great car, got a great job. I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He loves to party. He's, he's great. But here, here's the thing, all right? He's in a panic. And those of us who know him well know what's really going on inside. Every time he looks in the mirror, he's like, oh, no, I'm not 25 anymore. I'm actually in my 40s, all right? And then he, that, that, that panic comes out as anger, and he blames everything else because this is not how he pictured his life back in his 20s. He didn't see himself as, as that dad with that wife with those kids on a cul-de-sac in a, in a subdivision in Denver. He didn't, he didn't think. He thought his life would always be a party. And you know what? Come to find out, it's not. But he blames everybody else. He blames lack of sex on his wife. He blames her, her lack of willingness, her, her lack of attention. And she better get her act together because the ultimatums come left and right you better change this about yourself. You better do that different. You better do this. And here's the other part of it, okay? Or else you will force me to go find it somewhere else. He's actually told his wife that. If I have to step outside of this marriage to get what I need, it's, 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 it's on you. So he spends a lot of time at the gym. He spends a lot of time at the bar because when you're at the gym or the bar, he can pretend like there's not a ball and chain at home and a bunch of kids sucking the life out of me. He can actually pretend that he's single. And at the gym and at the bar, women still... Women still dig him. Women still are attracted to him. Women still flirt with him. And it feels good. And he has a plan. His plan is, I'm going to be 25 again. Right? I'm going to dump my wife. I'm going to leave my kids. I'm going to tell her, tell her it's her fault and she'd done things different. And you know what? And the kids, they'll be fine. They'll get over it. Ready? Just like I did when my dad walked out on us. They'll be fine. And then here's the ace that we all have. And I'm a Christian. And when all the dust settles... God will forgive me anyway because I'm saved by grace through faith and not by what I do right and I'm not disqualified by what I do wrong. So I'm gonna roll the dice. I'm gonna let go of what Jesus has told me to do. I'm gonna step out from God. I'm gonna leave my wife behind and leave my kids on their own and I'm gonna jump off the roof. And then I jump, I'm gonna yell out, Geronimo, God, catch me. And you have to do it because you promised, right? That's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons we screw up our life. Let me give you one more. Let's talk about a kid named Daniel. Daniel's a good kid. I know him. I've known him most of his life, all right? Daniel's this kid. He grew up. just funny kid. Awesome kid. But he wanted to be a man. All, all, all little boys want to be a man someday, right? We watch cartoons. We watch army movies. We watch cowboy movies. Right? We go, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. And we look around and go, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. And Dan Daniel's dad, he has his, his own stuff going on because his dad didn't teach him how to be a man. So Dan Daniel's kind of on his own. So he's looking around the world going, so somebody show me how to be a man. And, and you know what? An older boy shows up and goes, I'll show you how to be a man. You can hang with me. I can hang with you. You're awesome. And so Daniel hangs with this guy for a long, long time and gives him attention everywhere Daniel goes. Like, I get to be with him. I get to be with him. And finally, that attention turns physical. And then that physical turns sexual. And somewhere in that process, Daniel goes, well, I guess I found my place. I guess I know who I am. I know, I guess, I guess where I stand in the world of men, this is what I'm good for, and this is what I am, and this is what I deserve. And that goes into that hardwiring inside of us, and it doesn't go away, right? And a lot of us know what I'm talking about. And then that guy got out of his life, and so Daniel was like, what was that? That was weird. And then here's, here's what we do. I'm, I gotta forget about that. That didn't affect anything. And we went on with life, and he went on to college, and he went on and he got married, he thinks, finally, I, that, that's not true. That doesn't even matter anymore. But in the back of his mind and in his heart every day, there's fear and shame and insecurity. And here's the question he asks himself over and over and over. Why did that happen to me? 
What's wrong with me? What would somebody look at me and say, I, I see what you're worth and I know, I know how to treat you and I'm gonna treat you that way. What, what, how about this? Is there something so broken inside of me that I say I hated it and I didn't want it to happen? But maybe, maybe I did, maybe I liked it. And if that part's still inside of me, is that gonna come out and it's gonna ruin my marriage and blow up my kids and blow up my life and blow up? everything important. I go to church and that helps some and I go to counseling and that helps some, all right? I go to men's retreats, I go to crucible, I go to all, all those things. But deep down, Daniel knows, I know, this is settled a long time ago. I know who I am, I know what I'm worth and I know what I deserve and it hasn't gone away. And Daniel is standing on the edge of a cliff waiting for his life to fall apart because he's just, he's just convinced it's a matter of time until I finally get what I deserve and I screw up everybody. And here's what he's actually told me. Maybe I, Jim, maybe I should just pull the trigger and just get it over with. Maybe I should just blow up my marriage now. Maybe I should just walk out on my kids now. And I know what the Bible says, that God will forgive and God, God loves everybody and stuff like that. Here's what he's actually told me. Listen, maybe God will forgive me. I feel like I'm such a piece of crap. I'm not even gonna ask him. I don't think he should forgive me. I think actually a bullet would be better because if I just died, if I just died now, I would rather die than my wife be devastated by finding out what goes on inside of me. I'd rather leave my kids behind and maybe they'll find a better dad than me rather than going, my dad is what? So I'm thinking about Balin. Now, every one of us can look at one of those stories and we're either thinking of our own lives or we're thinking about somebody else that we love very, very, very deeply. And we have told ourselves and we have told that person, that's not true. That's not true. That's, that's not who you are. And this is always helpful. And you shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. Listen, yeah, I guess no matter what, God loves you. I, I know, he's already forgiven me. I, I know, and he can heal that up. And we, and we look at, when people say that to us, those of us who are really, really wounded and broken inside, we look back and going, I know, praise the Lord. You know, and we sing the songs. Yeah, I, I believe that. But you know what? We don't believe it. We don't buy it. We don't. We can't believe in our hearts that that's true because here's what's on our page. Pain and shame and fear and insecurity and regret. And it's not written on our page. It's carved in there and it's not coming off. So believing that forgiveness is available for everybody else, great. That's me forever. I think I've covered everybody. I certainly have covered my life. See, all of our stories these three and then the thousands that are going on right now and all our responses to those stories, the arguments and conversations we're having in our head really can be reduced down to one statement. I don't believe that what God says is true about me actually is true. I don't even think it's possible. I mean, we, we get there on par parts of it. Like, I believe that probably that, you know, what happened to you, I think God can do that in your life. But listen, in my life, I don't trust God. I don't. I wish I did, but I just don't. Anybody? I, I, I want to do something, all right? Then we're going to get out of here. So this is heavy enough. We've got to watch football. All right, so um, I, I, I want to give you four statements really, really quick, all right? They're all through the Bible, okay? God loves me, all right? That's the first one. God will protect me. That's the second one. God has a plan for my life. That's the third one. And God is well-pleased. And I'm just going to translate it. God likes me. God loves me. God will protect me. God has a plan for my life. And God, God likes me. Now, here's the thing, all right? If you have your cameras with you, take a picture of the screen, all right? Because we're going to come back to this all, all week long, all right? God loves me. God will protect me. God has a plan for my life. And God is well-pleased. He actually likes me. Here's my question. Which one of those four statements is the hardest for you to believe? I mean, going, oh, I just think they're all, it's just all great. Praise the Lord, right? Nice try, all right? Of these four statements, you, you can probably get part of the way on, on some of them. There is one that is jumping out at you going, that's not true. And you know why you don't, you don't believe it's true? 
because it's linked to something that you know about and that's the conversation you're having in your head, right? It can't be true. At least it can't be true for me. Why? God loves me? Do you, are you not paying attention? Do you know what happened to me? God, 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 will, God will protect me? Where was he when I needed him? Where was he when that happened, when that was happening to me, all right? God has a plan for my life. Do you know what I've done? And you know what I did to her? You know what I've done to him, all right? He's well pleased with me? Nah, that's really hard, right? God, God, no, he's not gonna protect me. This was a lot of saying, right? You know why I know that? I was doing my best. I was trying to dwell in his presence. I was trying to abide in the presence of the Almighty. I was trying to do that. I didn't jump off the temple. I got thrown off the temple and it hurt. Where is God then, right? And my life is broken and it's dead and it's just unfixable. I can't put what happened in my life I can't put that with God is my father and God loves me and God is well pleased with me. He has a plan for my life and I'm enough. I can't, I can't get there. I get it. There's part of us in here right now going, all this is good for most of these people in this room, but it's already dead. My marriage is dead. My family is dead. My relationships are dead. My heart is dead. The most important thing in my life is just, it's just gone. It's dead. You got dead stuff in your life? Me too. Here's what God has been teaching me, I get, trying to teach me all my life. It's really becoming to more and more and more focus over the last several months about dead stuff. Resurrecting dead stuff is God's specialty. You got, you got something dead in your life? Let's, 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 let's dig it up and let's, let me breathe life into it. So here, here's, here's the application. Before, you see, a lot of us have a plan. All three of those guys have a plan. You have a plan, I have a plan. Before we ex execute our plan, before we bail out, before we file papers, before, before we, we quit, before we hit her one more time, before we, we, before we go over the edge and jump, I'm gonna ask you, would you call a timeout and not, not yet? I got a plan, I'm, I already got a, I, I'm gonna execute, as soon as church is over, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna do what I, what I need to do, I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna let go of God, I'm gonna go jump, all right? Would you, would you just call a timeout and not do it, not yet? Okay, later, you still wanna do it, fine, all right? But would you actually maybe take one step away from the edge and one step towards what God says actually leads to a better, a better life? I don't, I'm not saying it's gonna work, but before you jump and blow up and kill everything in your life that's important, again, would you be willing to try a couple things? All right, first one is this, all right? So every, every week, like you can do this right after church, even today, on, on the website, flatironchurch.com, if you go to the, the, like the listen now, it'll take you to this page. And so later today, my, this talk will be on, on, online. And then down here, there's this little thing called discussion questions. I have a team of people right now that all weekend long, they have been writing specific questions about this talk. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. This week, and maybe every day this week, or at least once this week, will you just get on there and look at those questions and, and see what comes up for you? Because a lot of times what we do is we listen to a talk and then we go watch a ball game, we go to lunch and it all gets lost in life. Would you intentionally go, you know what? I'm gonna work through those questions, three or four questions, and, and I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna see at my kitchen table, in my car, on my phone, whatever it is, what, what comes up in me? Now, I'm gonna really be pussy, all right? You, that would be enough. Would you be willing to make a deal with somebody and go, hey, later in the week, can I bring my paper and my five questions and you bring your paper and your five questions and we just, can we just go meet for a drink or, or something like that? And I'm gonna tell you what I wrote down for number one and you tell me what you wrote for number one. And you know what that's called? Doing life in community. It's called the church. It's, you say, well, I, I've never done that before. I know, that's why you're alone and on your own. 
Would you be willing to just do that? Even if it's just you at your kitchen table, that would be better than what you currently have, right? So that's a step one, all right? The step two would be this. A week from today, we're gonna have this training uh, here at the Lafayette campus and then up at the, the, the Genesee campus, all right? And so it's, it's a training called Intentional Apprenticeship. Apprenticeship means I wanna be like that person. That's what an apprentice is, right? So this is a training to go, I, I wanna be the same kind of man or woman, whatever, that if Jesus had my life, I, I would be the same kind of man, right? If, I, I wanna be the kind of man that if, when I'm married to Robin, I would respond to Robin the way Jesus would because I'm the same kind of man, right? So that's really, really, really hard. Now, here's why I want you to do this, all right? And there's only like four or 500 spots. And so it's first come, first serve, whoever signs up for this, okay? But, but next week, on the very first week of this, here's what we're gonna unpack together. <laughs> Familiar? God loves me, God protects me, God has a plan for my life, God is well pleased with me. Why can't I believe that? And there is a reason. And it makes sense that that doesn't fit in your life because it doesn't feel like it's true. I get it. But don't you think it's worth finding out why? Because it's still true, whether you think it applies to you or not. So sign up, all right? And here's the other thing. There's a fee for that. I don't even know what the fee is, but I'm the boss here. And so I made an executive decision this week. Go to week one, it's free, all right? And if you go, and if you go there and go, you know what? I, I think this is a bunch of crap. Then don't come back. So you don't have to go all five weeks? No. No, just don't come back. But, and if you want to come back and go, but I don't have the money, then we'll scholarship you. Ta-da. All right, it's all fixed. All right, so the only reason that you won't go is because you just don't want to. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at that. So that's the second one. Now, here's the third one, all right? And over a little bit of time. So two weeks from now is baptism weekend. It's time. It's time to get baptized. Right, we started this series with Jesus being baptized. Not for the forgiveness of his sins, but actually he was saying, okay, from now on, my life is gonna be very, very, very different. From now on, my life is gonna be about one thing. It's gonna end up on a cross. I'm gonna die on a cross to pay for all those people in Colorado some, someday when they put their faith in me. They're gonna bury me and say, see, he was a fake, and then I'm gonna come back to life as proof that you can trust me. So we're gonna do that. Water doesn't save us. You got dunked in water, you got sprinkled with water, whatever that is. Your grandma took you to mass, your, your mom made you believe and recite all this stuff. No, it's time for you to take ownership of your faith. And baptism is an outward sign of two things. My sins are forgiven, my faith is in Jesus, and from now on, my life is gonna be very, very different. What do you mean? Because I'm no longer on my own. On my own, I can do nothing. On my own, this is my marriage. On my own, this is the kind of dad I am. On my own, I've tried to get sober and I have not been able to do it on my own. I'm tired of living life on my own. So I'm gonna ask Jesus into my life and he's gonna come inside of me and he's gonna change things. All right, now, men, men, serious, I get to pick on you, all right? Your family, your kids, your wife, your girlfriend have been waiting for you to be the spiritual leader of your home for a long time. They're waiting for you to go first. They're not expecting you to do it perfectly. They're not expecting you to have all the Bible answers. They don't even expect you to be like Jesus. They're just going, my dad, my boyfriend, my whatever is finally turning his heart towards Jesus. And for some reason, I trust him more. So leaders go first, men go first, dads go first, husbands go first. And so two weeks from now, show your family this is what it means. Now, Here's where I started with, all right? Why don't we trust God? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna end with a di different question. Why should we? Why should we trust God? I mean, that's an old story in an old book. Why should we trust God? And here, here's the answer. Because he loves you and he forgave you. And that's the simple answer. But let me unpack it a little bit more, okay? So let it sink in. He loves you so much. For God so loved you, 
that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to be butchered on a cross because that's what it costs to pay for our sins and get us out of hell and reconnect us back to him so that we will not perish but have eternal life. He loves you so much that he, that he laid down the life of his son for you. Ready? Nobody loves you that much. My mom does. No, she doesn't. My boyfriend does. No, he doesn't. He really doesn't. I'll break your heart. I certainly don't. I don't love you that much. You can't have my son. But I really need it. If you just give me your son, blah, blah, blah. No, you can't have him. Well, then I'll die. Sorry. You can't have my son. I don't love you that much. God goes, you need my son? The only thing that will take away your condemnation and bring you back to me so I can move inside of you and pull your marriage back together and get you sober and bring your family back together? Is my son's blood on a cross? Absolutely. You can, I lay down the life of my son. Nobody loves you that much. We're 10 men. And we're empty inside. And the only thing you ought to allow to speak into that empty space inside is a God who would say, I love you so much, I'll lay down the life of my son. I'll resurrect him from the dead and I'll do that with your life too. Do you trust me? That's it. So let's stand up and then we're uh, all four campuses. Let's stand up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing a song. Uh, I'm not gonna sing a song. Oh, good. <laughs> and that's how the church went down. Uh, we're gonna sing a song. Listen, um, so the, the, the metaphor Jesus was replying to was, you want me to not trust God like those people that were thirsty in the desert? You want me, right? So is anybody, is anybody thirsty? And I don't mean like water. I'm talking like I'm thirsty for some joy and some hope and some peace to come back into my life. I want to be satisfied and I've tried to fill it up with everything else. So we're going to sing this awesome song. I'm going to just give you a couple of lyrics. Living water, I don't want a little bit. Living water overflowing, never running dry. Overwhelm me. Satisfy my soul. I think that that's what 10 men need. We need something to come inside of us and finally satisfy us so we don't have to run after everything out there hoping maybe this will fix us. It won't. Only Jesus will. Only he'll satisfy our soul. So Lord, we come into this place and we're all thinking about, we're, we're afraid because we're thinking about something in our life that we already have a plan to jump over the edge or we've already jumped over the edge and we consider it dead. And the idea of actually taking that part of our life and following you is really, really scary. But if you love us, and you have a plan for our life and you promise that you'll protect us and you actually want to be with us so much so that you would give your son to make that happen, then I, I think you're worth a shot. And so God, I pray that we'll open up your word this week and we'll see how this talk applies to our lives. I pray that we'll look at the obstacles in our life and we'll, we'll say, I'll do whatever it takes to get on the other side of that. And I pray, I pray that some, some men and women two weeks from now will say, it is time for the old man, the old woman to die and a new person to come to life. I'm ready for that. And that's all possible in Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.